0: Welcome to For What It's Worth. This is season seven, episode nine. Some fancy title goes here. I am Tug's puppy bear. Joining me in Salt Lake is Ruchi Lexico. Hello. We also have in our sound booth, as always, Voss the Cheesehead. Hello. (laughs) What is your character's last name?
1: He doesn't have one.
0: Oh, he's a mononym. Yes, nice. because
1: I never bothered to think of one.
0: What's <laughs> that? All right. Well, we have an interesting episode for everyone today. So we're going to do the normal thing you're used to at the beginning here in just a second. And then later on, we're going to do something different, which we'll explain afterwards. So, Rue, what have you been up to lately?
2: Well, I have been up to a lot of things. I've been watching The Greatest Showman. Is that good? I thought about going to see that. that. Was amazing. If you have an opportunity to see it, um, I would highly, highly recommend going and seeing it. But, of course, it is a musical. So, if you don't like musicals, you probably aren't going to like it. Thank you for the warning.
0: um, I won't go see it.
2: Yeah. So, in the middle of it, they'll break out into song and dance. So, you just have to be ready for that. But, I've heard a lot of people that don't like musicals actually liked this one. So... Huh. It's it's up to, I would have to say it's up there to, um, like, Les Mes, as far as the, the quality that they put into it. Huh. So. But, yeah, that's what I've been up to. And then I've also been playing Night in the Woods. And let me tell you, like, I don't, I, I know I need to continue to play it. But quite literally, like, I don't understand why people are so obsessed about this game. I think it's the art style. Like, I think it's just because there's furries in it that people are so excited about this game. If furries weren't in this game, I don't know if people would actually like night in the woods i
0: the why wait hold on though, but why are you saying everyone's I don't know anyone who's excited about this game. so who's everyone?
2: Uh, a lot of furries are excited about this game. I mean, you <laughs> always see you know memes or whatever with what's his the the fox dude with saying like, there's a cup on my ears and, you know, it, it's cute. I like that character. It's the main character that I, I'm pissed off with because she she goes and she makes her friends, like, go steal things. And and I, I don't know, they're, they're also bad news as well. But it's basically about, uh, like, the main character is just stuck in, like, back in the past, back in my day, this is what we used to do. And it's like, man... I don't know how to explain how I feel. It's just, it's not my type of game, I think. It's in, I think that's what it is.
0: It's interesting because, like I was saying, nobody I know is that excited or has even heard of this game, uh, except for, I think, one person. And it, you, you're, the group you hang out with, obviously, is so tight. <laughs> your Your perspective no, is completely I, different. I,
2: I don't think so. I think that it's something that... You just haven't seen all the Night in the Woods stuff, like okay. I'm gonna turn to Mr. Audio Guy. How much Night in the Woods stuff have you seen over the course of the couple of years since it's been out?
1: Uh, a lot of stuff. His name is Greg.
2: Oh, oh, Greg is Greg is cool. Greg is cool. Although he makes you steal batteries from cars and then get yourself electrocuted. But anyways, that's besides the point. <laughs> it's a it's a narrative. Um, if you like story games. Um, you know, I highly recommend people checking it out. Um, I love the mini game that, that's in it um, on her computer. That's, that's a great, great game to play. But I, you know, check it out if you want to. So, anyways, what have you been up to, Tux?
0: I have been up to surviving a little bit ever since we recorded last episode. See, I'm yawning. Ever since we recorded last episode. Uh, it's just been a lot of work, come home, furnish the place I live in now, and then eat, and then do it all again. And I know I mentioned it last time that I was starting to make food from scratch. The initiative is not dead. Uh, I made, I made some stuff with the wheat I ground up, and it was pretty good.
2: You've been doing a lot more of that. I think it I think it's great. Well, I, Have you lost any weight from that?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it's hard to say cause it's only been a little bit. If I continue to lose weight over the course of a month, I mean, I've lost some weight, but if I, if I continued over the course of a month, I would then start giving it credit. So I don't know. That's,
2: that's awesome, Tugs though. I mean, as far as, you know, making your own food and I think it, people need to do more of that. Everybody's just like, it, too much in a rush nowadays, and it's not—it's not a bad thing. It's just—I mean—I'm guilty of it. I just—who
0: wants to do I that when you cook. come home? Like, really, right?
2: Yeah, you—you you put your heart and soul, or or whatever you need to put into to be able to get a paycheck. You have no soul. And, uh, well, I'm not ginger, so I have at least some soul. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, we did—we anyway. did buy a table, though. We bought our—we bought our first kitchen not kitchen dining table that we i know like we've always just moved and there's always been one so now we have our own table and it took us a while to pick it out but i realized it was like buying a dog like you're gonna be with that for a long time so make it count
2: it depends on what quality that you buy i mean if you buy an ikea table you can keep that for a couple years and then trash it so
0: not if you buy the solid wood stuff that's the thing is like we got our table from ikea but we've been avoiding the particle board like we look for solid wood
3: Mm.
2: i think it's a good thing
0: it's a good thing
2: it's a good thing speaking of weight i've lost 15 pounds over the the course of i mean not that anybody wants to know all this information but you know i guess it's kind of a tumor time update with all the the chemicals that they're throwing in my body i've Finally got my thyroid taken care of, so now, like, my body's, like, melting away.
0: <laughs> Uh-oh. So that that cute 14-year-old face is melting?
2: Uh, pretty much. So,
0: yeah. How do you feel? Does that make you nervous?
2: Uh, That I'm losing weight? I think it's good, because I'm around 230... Uh, well, I was around 238 pounds or something like that, and now I'm down to... Um, uh, 225.
0: So, so you're the biggest I mean, it's not loser. A lot, but what was that You're I? the biggest loser?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Biggest loser. I'm going to turn into like the skinny little beanpole. <laughs> oh
0: so we're, we're doing a special episode. Are you, are you reading your cookie or are you saving your cookie for the, for the lighter episodes?
2: You know what? I have a cookie for you guys. Read, read the cookie. I think, I think it's good at the very beginning of this, um, this grim episode to, to grim. say this, a smile can always overcome the barrier of language in bed with the cookie
0: unless that culture has a policy which dictates that a smile means I'm going to kill your mother <laughs> and then you would and then you are not going to overcome the universal barrier of language.
2: I don't know if there's any like. Any anything out there that that would you know they would kill you because you smiled
0: and this reminds me of Maybe. that futurama episode where they where they're making fun of anime and like one of them just says something that's normal and they're like it's like i will rape your family or something like that and they have to ddr back to victory the
2: i i remember that but it, it also reminds me of rick when he's um, going and visiting his micro, is it mini verse? Is that what it is, Voss? Mini verse. Yeah. And then he's he's going down and saying peace among worlds, and he's um, doing the he's flipping the bird off to everybody. <laughs> so some people will get that reference. You don't watch that, so
0: <laughs> I. It's not that I don't want to. I just I don't know. I just can't find time to do it. It hasn't held my interest long enough. But that's neither here nor there. So, like I said at the beginning of uh, the episode today, we're doing something a little different, which is this is we've been talking Rue and I about doing a Radiolab style episode, and this has sort of become that, even though it wasn't intended to. So, we're we have a series of interviews, and you're going to hear us move between them, and we'll take you on this little trip. Uh, talking about what we do with our fursona, what happens to our fursona, what happens to our art, fursuit, furry accessories. This whole life we build up is furries. What happens to those when, when our time comes and, and death stands at our side and takes us away? And it's one of those things that it's like everyone's going, oh, it's another, another depressing episode. Well, yeah, maybe. The thing about it is just, it doesn't have to be depressing. There are some facts in life that life ends. For all of us, at some point, point. And, and life begins for
2: the same exact way,
0: exactly. And so, it's one of those things that everyone's going to have to confront. Our fandom is relatively young. I mean, we're only thirty-ish years old, which means that you know, people who are who participate in it for that span of time, they're going to have stuff built up, just like you know. I know that I don't know what they do in the Star Wars community or whatever, but I'm sure there are people who have OCs or whatever that what do you do when they're gone and so it's one of those things that we should think about a little bit uh it's not pleasant but it is reality right Rue?
2: yeah you know I, and this will be one of the questions that we'll be asking but i've always wanted to th- like I, I don't i don't understand why people have a hard time talking about this particular subject
0: well because people don't want to
4: confront their own mortality it's hard it's hard it's worth noting that even in a group as diverse and decentralized as the furry fandom.
0: That's Nuka, a voice a lot of you probably are familiar with. He's a social psychologist, runs part of the IARP, and is yeah frequently on our show.
4: There's still a role to be had for established people within these groups. People who are uh, perhaps famous or well-known or held in high regard or held in high esteem by uh, the fandom. They play a very central or organizing role in the fandom. Um, the fandom has its established norms. It has these uh, things that they hold near and dear, these values. These are the things that furries are, these are the things that furries aren't. And so it says something about a fandom to look at the kinds of people that we revere or hold in high regard. So the furries that tends to be uh, famous or well-known tend to be the furries who embody those values in the fandom. The people who um, best represent the best parts about that community. So if there's a furry who's well-known or famous, uh, typically it's in part because we're saying this is someone who represents the ideals of what it means to be a furry, and there's someone to be looked up to for that reason. We are with one of our guests here. Tell us who you are, guest.
3: Oh, hi, I'm Patch.
0: And you are a Dalmatian, horny deer... A rock. What are you?
5: Fox, Dalmatian, deer. Not all at the same time. (laughs) Maybe sometimes at the same time. I don't know. I haven't decided yet.
0: (laughs) Now, (laughs) and and we've had you on before. It's been since season two, so it's nice to have you back.
3: Thank you. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell us a little bit about your experience with death. Start at the beginning of the timeline, if you would.
5: Uh, the very beginning, beginning, like how this all kind of got initiated.
0: Well, in my mind, I remember that you were talking about the fact that your mother had been held up at, I think it was at gunpoint, right?
5: Oh, okay. I'll start there. Yeah. No, my mother was at the laundromat
0: early in the morning
5: and she was held up at knife point. And is this in Vegas? This was in, uh, Henderson. Okay. Unfortunately, which is a suburb of Vegas. Um... They stole her purse. They stole her keys, and they stole her car.
0: Now, it's was that laundromat. Is, is Henderson rough? I don't. I don't remember it being a rough. Henderson's
5: not really a rough area. She was just a victim of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, she um, she got a hold of somebody somehow and came over to my apartment, and they picked me up, and we started working on a. Um, you know a way to get her life back together because i was going to be moving to reno a week later so i could start over at the university well um because they'd stolen her purse they had her wallet so we had to go get certain certain things replaced like and like driver's uh, license
0: and whatnot right
5: driver's license and uh, she had to go to social security as well so i rented a car for her And the initial idea was I was going to sign my car over to her and give her my car. And then I was going to take a rental up to Reno. So we had... had How do
0: you just give away your car? I have to ask you, like, was it like a natural decision to be like, yeah, I'm just going to give away my car?
5: It seemed like the right thing to do. I mean, this is my mom. I needed to make sure that she had wheels and was taken care of. Fair
0: enough. I just, I don't, I mean, you mixing, or not mixing, but... um. Giving a car away is not like your everyday sort of thing, so that's it's kind of striking, you know.
2: Yeah, but it's—I I would say that it's different when it comes to your mom. Would you say that that's correct, Patch?
0: Yeah,
5: me, me, and my mom were pretty close. We were very close. Tugs, you met my mother.
0: I did, I did. You, you, um, you had lived with her off and on and so forth, but yeah. Describe a little bit about that relationship for us, will you? So, so people can really get a feel for, you know, how close you were
5: um well i was the youngest born of three and my mom she she lived with me and my boyfriend at the time um but we we still spent a lot of time together we went to casinos we had dinner and breakfast together we were we were pretty close we we would go to anaheim and go to vacation together have a lot of fun uh she was she was my confidant and uh vice versa
0: did she know about so, everything, or did you keep like the furry stuff on the sly?
5: Um, no, she, she very much knew furry. In fact, she had actually gone to a, a convention, too.
2: How was that, going to the convention? I think we talked a little bit about that previously.
5: Oh, if you can imagine your mother drinking and then dancing with the fursuiter. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, she had, she had a good time. She had a lot of fun. She was very grateful for that. So, um, you know, we'd gotten all that stuff at the DMV done. And uh, this is where things take an ugly turn. We were going to the Social Security office very early in the morning so that we wouldn't have to wait in line. And about a mile, not even that, not even maybe a block away from the turn we were going to take, a person that was speeding on the opposite side of the road um he lost control of his car his car jumped the median and he hit me head on at 65 ish miles an hour
0: and this is like in a 40 zone right or a 30 zone
5: yeah this was in a 45-ish zone he was they say he was street racing my Obviously my car went completely berserk, it started spinning and I got t-boned on the driver's side because I was driving and um, I pretty much got trapped inside of the car. In fact, there was only a couple of inches from metal basically entering my stomach. When the paramedics and everybody arrived, they didn't expect to... Haul people away in an ambulance to go to the hospital, they expected to pick up corpses. They were very surprised.
2: So, your mom was in the car with you?
5: Yes, she was. And I took the full blunt of the impact. So, her airbag deployed, my airbag deployed. When I got T boned, however, the airbag broke.
3: Airbags break? Mine did.
5: That's whatever remember anyways i mean this was a pretty heavy impact and my mother she um you know she she didn't seem she seemed phased she was holding her chest i mean i guess it must have shocked her and i remember telling the paramedics leave me alone to get my mother out of the car they opened up her side they they got her under the stretcher and they they took her away and then they started cutting 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 me out of the car it took them it took them eight minutes to cut me out of the car. I couldn't feel my feet, I couldn't feel my legs, and I couldn't feel my torso. I know that there was a pain in my back that felt like I was being stabbed repeatedly. It was, it was horrifying.
2: Can I, can I rewind just a little bit? It, what did you, in, in that moment, did you say anything to your mom?
5: I said, Mom, are you all right? And she said, my chest hurts. And then, I don't know why I said this, but I said, why is something trying to keep me from going to college? Because it felt like the fates were were going against me. It seemed like a silly thing to say at the time. It was just, I don't know what was going through my head. I was just completely phased.
0: It, did, did time kind of do that whole stretching and slowing down thing?
5: Yes. Um, actually, yeah, it did. It, the actual impact and the car spinning, it felt like it felt like minutes. It was so it was so surreal and weird. I need I need a drink. So they took took me away in the ambulance and. Um, you know, they got me to the hospital, they shoved a bunch of tubes inside of me, and I kind of just went unconscious and fell asleep, and then I woke then I woke up, I don't remember what time it was, and then I was talking to the doctor. And I couldn't move, so I was just, I had use of my arms and my chest, but my, my feet, I couldn't move my feet and every time I moved my torso, it the pain was excruciating. And I looked up the doctor and I asked him two questions. He said, Am I gonna walk again? And how is my mother? And he said he said, We think you're gonna be able to walk again, but it's gonna be a long time. And then he said, um, there were some complications and and your mother didn't make it. The only thing I remember is screaming. I don't know how loud it was. I don't know how long it was, but I I just I just screamed and then I I think I kinda of passed out. That was
0: that was a hell I wouldn't wish on anybody. Are you are you angry at the at the person driving the other car? angry, uh, confused. I,
5: I mean, at the time, at the time I was, you know, beyond angry. I, I wanted to know what the hell happened.
0: So you're in the hospital and, and I, I don't think you were able to go to your mom's services, right? Cause you were in the hospital for how long?
5: Uh, I was in the hospital and rehab for about three months.
2: And so you weren't able to attend the, the funeral services.
5: No, but um, one thing my family did was um, I told them where I think my mom would like to be would like to be buried, and they honored that request. And that was in San Jose with um, with her with her parents and her um, her other family.
2: Have you been able to go visit the the site?
5: I. I was thinking about doing it um, over when I went to uh, Further Confusion, but I decided that I wasn't ready for it yet. Well, they did surgery on my feet and, um, you know, told me everything that happened. We got lawyers involved and everything, but that's uh, something I'm not inclined to discuss at the moment. Fine. Um, And they got me set set up to rehab and everything like that.
4: Oftentimes when we think of a persona, we think about the persona's importance to a specific person, and indeed in our research, that's primarily how we conceptualize personas. A person creates a persona and we ask, well what does that persona mean to that person? What does it symbolize about that person? What is uh, the, that persona representing in terms of that person's ideal self? But it's also worth recognizing that furries don't exist in a vacuum. That every person who joins the furry fandom and creates a fursona is contributing a character in a very real way to that universe of furries. And so in addition to the meaning of a persona to an individual, a very well-known fursona can mean a lot to the fandom as a group. Uh, if that persona, I mean other people, for example, can build their own identities or their own fursonas off of that character. You know the brother of that persona, or or being inspired by that persona. We've seen uh, entire species come about in the fan zone. Fantasy species come about based on uh, famous personas. We've seen if there is a, a well-known scientist fursona, then other people will build their personas off of that. And so, it's it's. It should be noted that that personas have this, this social facet to them. They they don't just involve the individual furry, but they stand as sort of a beacon or an icon um, to other furries. That hey, this is some content that's in the fandom, and if it's a particularly well known persona, a particularly likable persona, a very unique persona, something that makes it uh, that draws the attention to it, um, it can certainly influence the fandom in a positive manner. Um, whether it's influencing other people's personas or just letting other people know. Hey, these are the kinds of characters that populate our fantasy-themed world.
5: When I woke up again, I was surrounded by people, friends. The furry fandom went absolutely above and beyond as as far as emotional support for me, and it drove me to tears in more than one more than one um, instance, and. Um, Help, help give me the motivation to, you know, to beat this and keep going. I still I still get teary-eyed over it.
0: So you, uh, what kind of local support did you get, and then what kind of extended outside-of-local circle support did you get? Um, a lot of my local friends, some of them were there
5: every day. They'd come and see me, they'd see how I was doing, they'd spend time with me, you know, they'd be encouraging, and somebody... Uh, they would somebody and, and another couple of friends to set up a GoFundMe for me because I was going to be in a very tight spot because now that my mother was gone and I wasn't going to be able to go to college after I got out of rehab, whenever that would be I would technically
0: be homeless so some people would initially say oh, well, you're, you're, your roommates are heartless why would they kick you out? You know, why would they make you homeless? But th- but there's some there's some reality with that. So explain that too.
5: I had already, tech- I had already technically moved out of that apartment, oh. and they had found another tenant to move in because I was so close to moving to uh, Reno. I had my dormitory set up and I had all my stuff already packed. I just needed to put it in the car and go and go.
0: Now, what, what kind of extended support did you get outside of local circles?
5: Uh, uh, how do you mean? Just like, how did other people come help? or? Well, yeah,
0: so obviously not everyone could make it down there. I wanted to come down there, but, you know, I, I couldn't. I know a lot of people felt the same way. So what kinds of support did you see uh, for people who weren't able to physically make it?
5: A um, lot of messages, phone calls, you know, support, art support. A lot of people gave me some get well, get well patch commissions and beautiful things like that and people constantly checking up on me. It was, you know, giving me good wishes, telling me, you know, they're sorry about what happened and everything like that, get better, stuff like that. It was, it was really nice.
2: So let's go into the now. Okay. How are things going now?
5: I... I am walking independently. I am still using a cane. I don't need my wheelchair as much anymore. I am currently in Reno at the University of Nevada uh, studying geologic science. I am seeing a therapist about the trauma and everything. That's really helping a lot. And I kicked
0: rehab's ass. (laughs) I'm just imagining a giant butt with the word rehab on it.
2: How how long did it take you in rehab?
5: It took me about, about uh, two and a half months. It was a very slow process. I had to wait for my pelvis to heal first because it was fractured. Both sides got fractured. So moving was very hard for a very long time and very painful.
0: We'll have more for what it's worth right after this.
6: Hailing frequencies open. Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, February 14th, here are your space headlines. Recently, Rocket Labs flew the second test flight of their light orbital class booster, the Electron Rocket, able to put small payloads into space for a lower cost than other methods. But just how small a rocket can you build and still make it into orbit with a payload? Well, Japan just answered that question. With a modified sounding rocket called the SS-520, they were able to successfully put a CubeSat into orbit using a booster that's only 10 meters tall. That's about 30 feet, or roughly three stories. That's tiny compared to every other orbital class booster. Now, it isn't reusable, and it's only able to carry a payload of 4 kilograms, or about 9 pounds. This makes it small enough to be transported on a large truck and deployed using existing mobile hardware. Of course, it isn't terribly practical. This was little more than a demonstration of technology, rather than meant to be a viable means to space. But it's still really cool that Japan was able to pull this off. They now hold the record for smallest rocket to put a payload into orbit. In slightly larger rocketry, not too long ago, an Ariane 5 launched from French Guiana carrying two commercial communications satellites and a scientific package from NASA. But there was a bit of a problem. Reports are coming out that the error may have been due to flight software not being installed correctly, making the rocket think it was in the wrong place. This is similar to what happened with a Soyuz rocket when its frigate upper stage thought that it was in the wrong place and turned itself around, inadvertently deorbiting the whole payload. Thankfully, that is not what happened here. Almost immediately off the pad, the rocket started heading in the wrong direction, carrying it over populated areas, though thankfully it was high enough up that the noise had minimal impact. It made it successfully to orbit and deployed its payloads, though they were in the wrong orbit. I'm told that both satellites will be able to correct their orbits with their onboard thrusters. In fact, by the time you hear this, they may already have. It was rather frightening because the ground crews lost telemetry from the Ariane 5 not long after liftoff. Now, this isn't because there was a problem with the hardware on board or on the ground. It's literally because the rocket was not where they thought it was going to be. Tracking stations point their dishes at the rocket for line of sight, and have them set to follow what the programmed path is expected to be. So, as the rocket flew in the wrong direction, the dishes were moving in the direction that it was supposed to go, not where it actually went. Perhaps something to look into for a contingency mode. Still, in spite of all this, the rocket performed its job, even if it went to the wrong orbit. Since it's most likely human error, it shouldn't be too difficult to put steps into place to prevent this from happening again, and see Ariane 5 return to flight very soon. I don't like to get too political in these news segments, but sometimes politics just won't stay out of my space. Literally. The Trump administration has outlined its vision for the future of the space program, and while I'm hopeful it won't lead to anything unpleasant, I do have some pretty major concerns. First off, they have announced that they are supporting a transition from the current model of how the ISS operates and is funded to a, quote, commercially focused space station, end quote, meaning they're looking at privatizing it. Now, this by itself isn't too alarming. This idea has been thrown around a lot, along with other options, for what we're going to do with the ISS after her useful life runs out. There's talk of the Russians removing their segments and using them to build their own station. There's talk of letting the whole thing re-enter and burn up. There are a lot of other options and handing it over to the private sector is one of them. Now, just to be clear, the station is getting up there in age. She's going to have to be decommissioned at some point. The trouble I'm having with the announcement is, there isn't much mention of something to take her place in the public sector. Bigelow is working hard to produce its new expandable modules, which, in tandem with one another and other modules, could serve as the basis of a lower-cost, higher internal-volume station, which could be built commercially, then leased by NASA, and I would be fine with that. I would be fine with NASA outright buying the modules and handling everything internally. But I want to know something. We need to have some sort of outline for continued human presence in space, and this announcement doesn't really deal with that. Which brings us to the next part of this. As part of the White House's budget outline for NASA, they're looking to jumpstart a lunar space station, using the SLS and Orion programs as the means of accomplishing these goals. The idea is to use this as a means of getting back to the moon and eventually going to Mars, Whether or not this is part of the Deep Space Gateway project is another matter. Remember, this is the administration that was curious about putting humans on the first flight of an untested rocket. A lunar space station is going to cost a lot of money, so where is it coming from? Well, the administration wants to cancel a number of missions NASA has planned, some of which are already in the works. One of those missions was WFIRST, the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope which would search for dark energy, exoplanets, and perform a number of infrared astrophysical research functions. The other cuts include a number of Earth-observing missions, which are looking at being removed for quote unrelated reasons, end quote, and it also looks like the budget for NASA includes closing down their Office of Education and Outreach. I have to say I'm rather disturbed by all of this. Canceling missions for a chance to achieve an Apollo-like accomplishment seems incredibly short-sighted, especially since there is no real expectation that the SLS will fly before the end of the current administration. And even if it does, the goal set forth for the lunar station likely wouldn't be reached before the end of a second term. It just sounds like they're pushing their own agenda with no regard for the fact that long-term programs at NASA require more than four to eight years to accomplish. I hope that the people call up their representatives and senators in Congress and make it clear that they support fully funding NASA and keeping the Office of Education and Outreach open, and that Earth-observing missions are crucial if only to give us the ability to track weather, like those storms that ravaged the Caribbean, Gulf, and the eastern seaboard. Okay, enough of all that political stuff. Time for something that could bring hope to the space program. For a long while now, SpaceX has been preparing for the debut of their heavy-lift rocket, the Falcon Heavy. It slipped later and later in development because of engineering challenges and changes to the design they had to overcome. But finally, at long last, Falcon Heavy lit its engines and the clamps were released. That's right, we have a Falcon Heavy launch in the record books, not scheduled soon, but as part of SpaceX's flight history. And well, if you're curious how it went, let me share with you Elon Musk's reaction. Keep in mind, he did not have much faith that it would succeed. He figured it would blow up on the pad or shortly after takeoff. I don't usually swear in this segment, but for the sake of historical accuracy, I will not be mincing words or censoring. His reaction, and I quote, was, Holy flying fuck, that thing took off. Immediately after, like a kid seeing he's got a shiny new bike under the Christmas tree, he ran out of the control room to see it fly with his own eyes. It was a beautiful sight watching all three Falcon 9 cores lift off, then arc their way downrange. It passed maximum dynamic pressure without incident. Then the side cores, the boosters, shut off and separated cleanly and beautifully. The center core continued on like a regular Falcon 9. The side cores performed their flip maneuvers, made their boost back burns, and came thundering back to the coast, creating two double sonic booms, which, depending on which feed you listen to, sounds like a pair of triple booms because of the echo. And then came one of the coolest sights I've ever seen two Falcon 9s landing almost exactly at the same time, side by side with near pinpoint accuracy. But it doesn't stop there. Before the boosters landed, the fairing deployed, revealing Musk's personal midnight cherry red Tesla Roadster, valued at around $200,000, with a passenger in the driver's seat. It was a dummy they lovingly named Starman, wearing the test article of their brand new spacesuit, their actual spacesuit, not a mock-up, but the actual one they had been testing. One hand on the steering wheel, and one arm up on the side of the car like he's just casually cruising along. On the dash was a Hot Wheels miniature of the very Roadster being flown to space, and in it, a little miniature Starman. And on the touchscreen console you can see DON'T PANIC written in large, friendly letters. And did I mention that this was all set to David Bowie's life on Mars? Yeah, that's a thing that happened. There's a lot more that went into this launch that I just don't have time to get into here. I'll be sure to talk about it more in future episodes. There's that much to discuss. Trust me when I say it was the most amazing spectacle in rocketry we have ever accomplished. This is officially the most powerful rocket currently flying, and the most powerful to fly since the Saturn V. Huge congratulations to SpaceX. That's all for this round. Stay tuned for the next episode of For What It's Worth for More. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans.
4: Having a reaction to the show topic so far? We want to hear about it. Send your response to this episode and get involved in the discussion. Cast at ForWhatIt'sWorth.com. We will read your comments in the next release.
1: Hello, cast of For What It's Worth and guest. I've been thinking about this topic for a while. A lot of folks know that I'm furry. A lot of folks know that I have traditional and digital artwork of my characters. I feel like a photo album of some kind that goes in chronological order and one that is both physical and digital would be a good way to show the progression of my characters throughout my life. In addition, the album could show how I, in real life, progressed as time went on too. For example, one full page, it could have a side-by-side comparison of what I, through photographs, looked like at 18-year-old and what my characters through artwork looked like when I was 18 years old, too. I feel like the idea of a photo album would be a good tribute in general, and it would allow people the chance to reflect on who I was. I am interested in what others have to say, and especially if they have items that aren't traditional and digital pieces of artwork. With Love and Cookies, Anonymous.
4: People aren't particularly good at dealing with loss, not just because it involves... Uh, a reorientation of the status quo, trying to figure out how do you pick up the pieces and find a new normal after the loss of someone um, from, from, from the group you're a part of. But there's also the added difficulty of figuring out all the little practical day-to-day things that come along with that, uh, including things like what do you do with the personal effects of that person? Uh, and in the furry fandom, this includes things like uh, art of the person, or something like a fursuit, for example. And this could be, uh, in a practical sense, it could be very difficult because uh, if there hasn't been any sort of, if it's an unexpected passing, uh, there may not be any plan. It's hard to know or interpret what the person's desires were. What would that person have wanted? And other people may try to speak on behalf of that person, but it's not always easy to know what that person would have wanted. Um, but it can also be very emotionally charged and very painful with people differing in what they think is uh, appropriate. So there, there may be uh, feelings, for example, that if someone were to pick up the mantle and carry on as that character, um, that that might be some kind of impersonation, that that might be a, a, an imperfect facsimile of that original character. And and some may find that to be incredibly insulting, you know, even if it was done with permission, even if it was done with the best of intentions in in mind. Um, some people may think that that's inappropriate, that the, the character should um, be gone with the, the original owner or player of the character uh, as a sign of respect. Um, sort of like retiring the, the, the number of a well respected player on a sports team, for example. Um, but others may think that it's, it's a way of sort of achieving a sort of symbolic immortality, that if the character was well beloved in the fandom, um, the original person can gain some sense of sort of immortality by having that character live on in, in a very tangible form beyond the passing of that individual. And there's no right or wrong answer to this sort of question, but, but by understanding that people will have different approaches uh, to this question, understanding that it's so deeply mired and entangled in a lot of our complicated feelings about death, it's not surprising to see that people can disagree on these sorts of debates on what is right, what's an appropriate response. Uh, and it's seldom that people can, can fully agree in part because a lot of people don't know what they themselves would want. Uh, if it were to happen to them, if they were to pass away, You know, what would they want?
2: So that's a lot of time of just like, just sitting and being alone and being by yourself a long, a lot of time. Like what did you do with the those endless hours?
5: I sat. I thought. I reminisced. I wondered a lot. I wondered what would what would happen if I didn't make it. What would be the reaction of my friends? What would happen to you know to all the stuff that I've accumulated? What 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 would come? What would become of it? What would become of me? I mean would I even be remembered? I know now that i what Seeing the support that people gave me. I, uh, you know, I know now that I would have been remembered, but going through my head at the time.
0: What, what were you fearful as far, um, as far as the furry side goes, like talk us through some of those thoughts and like what your biggest fears were. I,
3: I guess if uh, all of my all of my stuff
5: was going to be, you know, out of my control if I was gone, uh, my family would have would have control over that and certain members of my family are not too terribly fond of the um of the furry stuff. So I would fear that they would just get discarded and thrown away. My art, my my fursuit and everything like that, I don't really think that that my my family would consider that worth keeping, even though it was such a huge part of me. What I what I would have preferred happen was I would have liked my I would have liked my nephew to have my fursuit.
2: So since you've, please, um, since you've tasted death, what did um. I mean, have you changed some things up have you have you put some some things in motion so that if you know you were to pass away that you know that would go to your nephew? Have you done anything to help prep
5: i I did actually I do have a small i do have a small will made out um, uh, a lot of some friends of mine have some have some information as far as some of my social media accounts go and uh things like that and keys to my storage unit um you know what to do what to do with me if i was to go there are certain certain personal objects i would like to take with me such as my my dog's urn when she passed away and um uh, certain other things so, I, to answer your question, yeah, I did take some. I did take some preparation as far as that goes.
0: One thing that I'm I'm curious about is, at some point there, did you start putting a value on your personas and your art and all those things? Did you start having to quantify and reckon with the value that they had to you versus other people and that sort of thing?
5: <sighs> I'd say. I'd say a little bit. I mean, my my persona is very, very important to me, and um, you know, practically priceless in a way. That's why if something was to happen to it, I wouldn't I wouldn't just want it to be thrown away or discarded because that'd be like throwing away and discarding a very large part of me. But that's something that my family I don't think really really fathoms or understands. So I was a little bit fearful on that because you know. While I was in the hospital and things like that, when this first happened, I didn't know if I was still going to make it. Even though I was conscious, there might have been a complication.
0: So the origin of this episode, the seed that planted it, was. I was having a conversation with Lyric, and we were because he has so much Disney art, and mm-hmm. and I looked at him. I go, you know, what if something happened to you? Because the thing is, traffic's so bad up here in Seattle, right? Like you see a car wreck every day, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I was like, what would you want to have happen to your to all this art you bought? Because people might not get why you have so much art. And it was it was a longer conversation. He he more or less said, you know, I would I would want the right people to get the right pieces of art because if they don't appreciate it like I appreciate it, it's pointless for them to have it. And so Yeah. And and so I'm wondering, you know, did you have that same kind of thought? Were you were you thinking people I mean, other than I mean, obviously your family, right? But what, who who else, what else, how, how does that make you feel? I guess it's probably the best way to put it.
5: I know there are some things that I have that I would want certain people to uh, to have. I know um, I've got some art that uh, I think my friend Shane back east, he would have liked to have, have He's one of my best friends and I love him like a brother. Um, I do have a lot of, extremely valuable things in my storage, mostly video game related era, you know, rare video games and such like that. And I, I didn't know who I would want those to go to. Part of me would want them to go to a museum so other people can enjoy them. Part of them would want them, want me to give them to people who would, I think would appreciate them.
1: Dear Rue, Tugs, Guest, and wonderful audio engineers. Hello, this is Ozzy. Long time, no right. The topic was on what happens post-mortem with our personas. I felt that I had to weigh in. Nowadays, several social media platforms such as Instagram, Google, and Facebook have options where you have pages memori- memorialized after death, provided you set it up that way and valid death certificate has been provided. I believe that most widespread social networks should follow in that vein, and that should discourage any copycats, hopefully. On the subject of fursonas specifically, I would like to say that most artwork, if you really care about it, the first step would be to mention them in your living will, and possibly your funeral plan if you feel things are going south health-wise. Mention a confidant that you trust with this branch of your life, and give them the authority to make decisions regarding the artistic properties. If you'd prefer to have your persona live on, as it were, I would be interested in an auction of sorts the same way we have adoptable characters. To macabre, perhaps, but I would l- think it would be fun option if one wanted their character to still have life, as it were. Anywhore, this is obviously very subjective and depends on how the individual feels. And isn't that sort of thing where one solution exists? As always, it's best to do your research and set up what feels right to you. Thank you again for all your hard work. Sincerely, Aussie Cat.
2: So, what do you wish that I mean, do you do you think that the fandom should create, I mean, should there be somebody out there that creates a memorial type thing for for furries or like some sort of how, how do I explain it? Like, you know how they have different museums and different things like that, you know? I, I don't know i don't know where I'm even going with this question
5: i think i I think on paper it would be would be a fan would be a really great idea it's a matter of upkeep and room and stuff like that like you know continuously honoring continuously honoring people after they've gone uh, you know physically rather than online i guess that's what you're saying like a memorial well,
2: well it could be it could be physically or it could just be a pure like, like they have those memorial um, websites where, you know, people can post things and, and stuff like that. If there was like a furry memorial site where you can put the person's obituary and their character and kind of their history and art pieces and different things like that. Do you think that something like that should exist within the furry community? I mean, since we're so online, based or would that be disrespectful to people that have died
5: i guess it just depends on perspective i personally think it would be kind of a nice way to honor to honor you know friends that have passed i've i've had a lot of people that i know in this fandom pass away and it broke my heart and continues to do so these days uh, i think it would be i think it would honestly be be a nice gesture i know on fur affinity they um uh, if you go to a page of a fandom member that has left us, it'll say deceased on it.
0: You know, it's that's an interesting thing that I've noticed. Like There's starting to be more and more of those, okay, this is, it's kind of like a frozen point in time. And it's kind of, I don't know, how do you approach that when you see that? Like, I, I kind of, I feel a little weird about it. I don't know what to do because we don't have a social protocol for that yet
5: it's still, I think that's still just very new with, with everything. It's, I'm not sure how to feel about it either. Honestly. I, I just feel
2: like that furries are just afraid to talk about this particular subject. It It's very difficult and very hard for them to be able to communicate. And uh, um, I mean, death is hard. I mean, it's hard for anybody. I mean, you know, I, I've lost some people along the way. I, we all have. And, it it's sometimes it's it's really difficult to to talk about it because it's very personal. It's right close to your heart, and uh, I think people are very afraid to to share that part of themselves. You know, to be vulnerable. And um, I, I sometimes I wish that people weren't so closed off and could be could be able to share that more because I think that people would understand each other just just a little bit more, especially within this. Within this community, which is great, but we also have a lot of drama and a lot of things that are going on. I don't know. I just wish that people were more open to sharing what was close to them. But it's kind of hard to do that on the internet because you know what internet people do.
5: <laughs> right? Um, I think I'm trying to choose my words um, on this one. Take your time, man. Yeah. Um, I think it's because this fandom is, to a lot of people, kind of like an escape from reality. We have friends here. Furry is something that we really enjoy doing, it's very close to our hearts. A lot of us perhaps may not want to face some of the harshnesses of reality. So that's why death might be hard for some people to talk about if they haven't really, you know, if they haven't really, how do I say this? kicked the Grim Reaper in the balls and then walked away. <laughs> so. I'm sure that a lot of
2: furries don't even believe in, in death when it comes to their fursonas. You know, I mean, a lot of them, I mean, like for instance, my fursona, I, I basically have made it so that he can't die, you know, and maybe that's because that's my fear of death. You know, my fear of loss and, and, and going through that, you know, I, I, I just I know everybody will get to that point. I know I'll get to that point. But it it is something that is sorry. Mm, it's really hard. Are you experiencing really emotions? Um maybe. Uh, no, I am emotionless. I don't have any sort of emotions whatsoever. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, Tugs, what are you gonna do? I mean what
0: I so I've I've thought about that a lot with this episode. Um
2: I, I'm I'm going to hit it right to your heart. Tomorrow, James passes away. I mean, sorry, Inc. passes away. (laughs) Okay. What do you do?
0: I cry my eyes out. It's, you know, you do what you can. And I'm not, I'm speaking in generalities, but this, I think, still applies. You know, for me, it's, I keep them alive in my heart. I keep tokens around about that person. Like I have some some decor, in my house from, from various people who aren't with me anymore, and you know they those things are there and they just subtly remind me to never forget, keep them alive in my thoughts. And that's you know obviously would be a much higher magnitude version of that for my own husband, um, but you know I would I would preserve his character. As uh, for a character, and and you know, do what I I can. Although <clears throat> I'm inclined to not create new content with that character, I would leave that character, you know, maybe do an end cap piece, but then kind of say, it and that's the end of of that storyline."
2: Mm-hmm. Pat, Patch, what have you done to help keep your mom's memory alive? <sighs>
5: Um, I've been going through a lot of my photo archives and, um, you know, vacations we've took and various things like that. And I've compiled them online and in a personal scrapbook, um, she had a storage unit as well that all of her personal items went into. My brother emptied out her apartment and put all of her stuff away and, that's another thing that concerns me is I need to figure out what my brothers are going to do with my mom's personal items because being in university, I can't be there to um, help them go through these things and I don't want them to just trash all of our stuff. So I just, its it's, uh, it's really hard to answer honestly.
7: For what it's worth. Brought to you by, for what it's worth brand glue. When you need something sticky, think for what it's worth. It's so difficult finding the right adhesive. There's that crazy kind, but it's almost never the right sort. There's the kind that shares its name with that goofy hunter always chasing that waskily wabbit. And all your horse friends cringe whenever you bemoan the lack of a good paste. Well, worry no more. For what it's worth brand glue is perfect for any project. It will bond anything to anything, from paper to people. That's right. With For What It's Worth brand glue, you can play Cupid. Just stroke the easy-to-grip bottle until the desired amount is extruded, then smear it literally all over whatever, or whoever, you want to see enjoy the bonds of forced adhesion. And if making sticky isn't your sort of thing, you can still support the show by contributing to the Patreon campaign. Just go to patreon.com slash fwiw and sign up. There are multiple tiers available, and who knows? You might find yourself on the receiving end of a good bonding yourself. I'm still in talks to open that particular reward. Who doesn't love a good bonding? For what it's worth brand, glue. Now available with a convenient sock-like applicator.
4: It's an important question to ask what should happen when someone leaves a fandom or passes away in the fandom, especially if they have a character or a persona. That's well known in the fandom and well liked in the fandom, and on the one hand, uh, one could say, well, the, the the character is a net gain to the fandom. The fandom benefits from having such a likable um, character who embodies the ideals of the fandom around, and so for that reason, um, it it's not a bad idea to have someone, you know, respectfully pick up the mantle of that character and and continue on. On the other hand, some may feel. That it's something wrong, something just not quite right, about any other person playing that character or representing that character, um, especially after the the passing of the original person, because it just feels, you know, in part it suggests a substitutability that um, the persona and the person are two separate things. And given that we know from research that many furries consider their personas to be deep, significant, personally meaningful parts of them. It can seem not right that someone else could somehow uh, pick up your persona and go with it. Uh, I myself can say that that my character Nuka, I would have very mixed feelings about uh, if something were to happen to me, uh, someone picking up the mantle and, and saying, "Well, I'm going to represent Nuka," um, in his in Dr. Courtney Plon's you know uh, untimely passing. But uh, not everyone feels the same way, uh, and certainly I can understand an argument being made for why the fandom benefits from having this character around, and it may be uh, that the person's original intent was that, hey, this character is bigger than me, this character is something that's beloved by the fandom, Uh, I would want that to continue on and create joy and and happiness and and positivity in the fandom uh, even after I'm, I'm gone. So, it's worth noting that it's a complicated issue to begin with. Now, add to that the complexity of uh, whether you want to call it unofficial representation, or impersonation, or um, someone uh, pretending to be that character, uh, either with malicious intent, or at the very least without the blessing of those um, who knew the original person, uh, or the original person uh, themselves, if possible, uh, and they're sort of content to do so, that becomes a far stickier issue because it raises questions of, well, what is the intent of this person um, is there intent to, um, to, in a very true and, and honest sense, try to capture the spirit and the essence of that person? Or is the intent to uh, raise the hackles of other people to, um, to be insulting or to um, uh, dishonor or do a disservice to or otherwise uh, troll the fandom in, in some regard? And it was just to say that any person who, who unofficially picks up the mantle and tries to represent a character is doing this. But it's it's worth noting that it's very easy to step on toes and very easy to sort of come off in poor taste, especially with a topic as emotionally charged as as death, which many people fear and have uncomfortable feelings about. Um, it is very easy for even the, the most noble of intentions to come across as... Um, very, uh, if, if, if nothing else, very tone deaf and very inappropriate. And at worst is being uh, blatantly insulting.
0: One question I had shifting gears just a little bit is um, with regards to one day we're all going to die and we have had furry friends who aren't with us. What do you, how do you feel about um, people legitimately carrying on your legacy, you were saying like your nephew gets your fursuit. So if he winds up at a convention, do you want him to wear your fursuit? Do you not want him to wear your fursuit? And then on the flip side, what do you think about impersonators? Cause they exist sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know of one. I think I know of one f- person
5: who has done that. Um... I think we all do. And
2: it, yeah. Um, it's a uh, name of a drink. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Um, as far as my, as far as that goes, I, I think most, ah, gosh, I don't think I would mind if he carried on some of my character's legacy. Obviously, it's not me, me, but if he has the character and he's honoring it that way, um, I, I don't know. I think it would be. At one point, I think it would be nice. At one point, I think it'd be a little bit grim. Right. I don't know. I'm kind of divided on that.
0: What about what about so, impersonators? Like, don't impersonate me when I'm gone? Is that, is that how you feel? Uh, I, I think the difference I would, here... Let me clarify. Is the difference is, if someone has your fursuit, that you, you bequeath mm-hmm. to them, that's legit. That's above board. You want them to have your fursuit. But if someone clones your fursuit, and then shows up at a con and goes, look at me, I'm Patch. How does that, what kind of reaction does that draw from you?
5: I think that would just make me feel, ugh.
3: <laughs> and that's happened. Flattered that somebody would take that time to do that, and at the same time, I think that would creep me the hell out. I don't know, it's hard, it's, that's a very unusual question. Uh
0: well, a lot of people were outraged with Lemonade's impersonator, and yeah, and that person has some behavior patterns that are interesting, to put it politely. You know, I, I don't think I don't think the fandom is in the general business of you know bringing people back from beyond the grave is cheap copies.
5: I think sometimes it's whether there was malicious intent to do that, or to defame, or to disrespect the character.
2: Exactly. I think some
5: That's I couldn't. I would not be able to tolerate if someone was, you know, like disrespecting woman aid, or, you know, if that happened to me, I wouldn't want them to disrespect my character or be a douche about it.
2: I think sometimes in the fandom, we are too accepting and loving and wanting to accept everybody that we are not willing to take out the trash. And sometimes we need to be able to be more willing to be like, this is our community. We love it and we love the way that it is and there are some people that are not good for our community and we need to all just push them aside. I, I mean, I know that that's really cold, but, you know, being someone that's been, been in the fandom and seen people come in and destroy what is being built time and time and time again, we need to change. We need to do something different to be able to protect what is important to us.
5: I agree. It's a matter of figuring out how and what, I suppose.
2: But I, I wanted to actually um, ask our audio guy, what is uh, his opinions are? What is his thought processes have been?
1: On what death?
2: Just yeah. Death in general. Like you have, you have click, you know, what, what it. What are you going to do if yeah, he loves you. I mean, if something happens to him or if something happened to you, like what what would happen?
1: Uh probably would just give each other each other's stuff, whatever's left over, and then I would sell the storage unit and get rid of all of his junk finally. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but on a serious note, what would you do?
1: Uh, I would probably take a lot of the stuff and then I would keep it as a memento or keep it somewhere around the, the apartment. Like his fursuit has just have it there so I can just look at it every once in a while.
2: Any other thoughts about the subject in general?
1: Not huge. I, I've already, I've plainly accepted death a long time ago. So when I die, I just die. I'm, I'm okay with that.
2: So how did you get to that point?
1: That was mass depression years ago and then being suicidal and just coming to terms with that life sucks, but you got to keep going and you got to find the little joys in it. So I'm okay with whatever happens. So I'm just going to continue my life and enjoy as much of it as I can. And when I die, I die.
5: And there's one thing that I've definitely taken away from this entire experience of mine is I've I've always appreciated and loved my friends. It's this whole experience just, if possible, multiplied that even more. And the same thing with the appreciation of life. It's uh, life is effing awesome, and enjoy enjoy every second of it, the good and the bad. So,
2: what? What, um, I mean, you you lost your mother and you had, um, I mean, we never know when we're going to lose somebody that's close to us. What advice do you want to give to people that have um, somebody that's important in their life?
3: Hold
5: them close and be strong, I guess.
0: That's very succinct. So, I like that. Very nice. Did, is there a question you wanted us to ask that we didn't ask you that you want to speak to?
3: Well, um, actually, I believe that you uh, you all
5: touched on, a, I think, enough points that I don't really have any additional um, things I would have liked you guys to ask me. I think we covered quite a bit.
2: Okay. I have one more question for you. One memory... That you never want to forget about your
5: mom. Uh, okay. Um.
4: Loss is something that's really hard for people in general to deal with. We're we're not wired very well to to handle the concept of what it means to uh, to be gone. We're creatures of routine. We like things to uh, happen in a very predictable way, and so when loss happens, it kind of catches us off guard. And for for individuals coping with loss it can be very difficult because you have to adjust to uh, a new routine but for groups loss also dramatically impacts them. Um, In the case of the furry fandom, the furry fandom is a very close-knit community even though it's geographically very diverse and there are furries all over the world, it's a very interconnected fandom. when, When the fandom loses someone in one part of the country Um, the news is felt, and and, and pain is felt, and and sympathy is expressed, and a feeling of loss happens all over the furry fandom, especially if that person happens to be uh, fairly well known, or happens to be someone who embodies the ideals of the furry fandom. And that's just the person themselves too, so clearly it's it's quite tragic to lose uh, the individual person. Uh, But it's also worth noting that the furry fandom is this sort of collective fantasy that we engage in and so not only is there the person to consider but there's also their character that needs to be considered as well. Insofar as we have this collective fantasy that we all engage in, when someone leaves the fandom or passes away um, their, their character is, is also lost with them and if that character is influential or if that character is, is looked up to or, or well known in the fandom uh, the loss can be sort of doubly painful because not only have you lost this this very likable person or this person who's um, uh, very well respected in the fandom, but now you've also lost uh, this character. So you don't just lose the interpersonal connection, but you also lose some parts of the the fantasy itself, which is for many furries a big chunk of the fandom. And and for many furries, they they seek out fantasy for its sort of escapist elements. So to have the loss creep into their fantasy world um, can be sort of doubly painful as well. To date, there's actually been remarkably little research on the subject of uh, furries leaving the fandom for one reason or another. We've done a lot of research on what gets furries into the fandom. It's a lot harder to study furries leaving the fandom and sort of the response or the aftermath to that, in part because oftentimes it happens so unexpectedly or suddenly our research does show that, for the most part, most furries don't expect to leave the fandom, even under the best terms, even under their their own power and their own control, very few furries expect to leave the fandom, they expect to sort of be a furry for the rest of their lives. And so that in and of itself makes it incredibly difficult to study, and it's even harder to go one step further and study the topic of furries passing away. Uh, and, and leaving the Phantom as a result of, of some tragedy or, or an untimely passing. Um, in part because many times these things are unpredictable. It's very difficult to be able to anticipate these sorts of moments and so it's very very hard to get the opinions of those um, who will be leaving the Phantom or who who are passing away to know what they would want or what they would think until it's you know sort of too late pragmatically. But also it's very hard to uh, from an ethics point of view, to ask those sorts of questions to people who have experienced loss, uh, in part because you run the very real risk of bringing up some very sad or unpleasant uh, memories just by asking people, hey, what are your thoughts on this? What, what do you think is appropriate? Uh, so we don't have a lot of research on it right now. It's a topic that's absolutely worth looking into, um, but at the moment we have very little research on the topic.
5: Tugs, this uh, uh, reminds me of you, but I took my mom to the um, Hollywood Tower Hotel in Disneyland, California. Uh, Oh, yes. Before before they uh, disrespected
3: it. And um, (laughs) I didn't tell my mom what kind of ride this was. (laughs) And so we boarded, we boarded the ride. And, you know, I'm just kind of sitting there casually, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, this is a pretty fun ride, Mom. You're going to enjoy it. And... So she didn't get anything at the very beginning?
2: Like, you know, they go in and do the little video thing?
3: I distracted her. (laughs) I was pointing around to all of the neat objects inside of the room while the video was playing, so I distracted her. And we got to the very top, and the whole thing, you know, starts doing the whole Twilight Zone thing. And... I knew the exact moment that we were going to drop, and so I just kind of looked at my mom and I said, going down, and then it dropped. And holy hell, (laughs) she screamed like a banshee (laughs) the entire time. I was having a great time, but she was flipping her shit, and I was laughing my ass off. (laughs) and then after we got out of the ride she started chasing after me and tried to hit me
0: (laughs) that's great
3: (laughs) so god yeah that was a great that was one of my fondest memories
5: (laughs) I missed you mom
2: thank you for joining for what it's worth on another episode I hope that you guys enjoyed it uh, we wanted to also extend a thank you to Nuka and Patch for sharing their insight. And I hope that that this episode has helped you gain a little bit more in, insight as to what you're going to be doing um, when you pass away. So once again, I want to thank you guys for listening in and you've been listening to for what it's worth.